are live. Welcome, Christine Cruz Vergara. I got that right. You got it right. Pronouncer? Yes, welcome to Happy Succeeding in the Future of Work. And I'm super excited to speak to you today, Christine, on a number of levels. Not only as someone who is doing a podcast, but someone who has two, well, one who just graduated college and another person in college. And I understand Handshake is the go-to place for young adults graduating. So I thought maybe I could put it to you, Christine, and you could share a little bit about Handshake. And then I really want to know about the job market for this, for this cohort of young adults. Sure. That sounds great. Jack, thank you so much for having me on. It's such a pleasure to chat with you today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for being here. Wonderful. Yes. Handshake is definitely the place to go. We're the best place to start, restart, and jumpstart your career. And especially for students that have no connections and no experience, you don't need that to use Handshake. So our community has grown pretty significantly uh, over the past few years. We now include 21 million students and young alumni around the world from over 1,400. Wait, wait, let me do it. 21 million? Yeah, 21 million students and alumni. Wow, that's yeah. huge. Congrats. That's much bigger. Thank you. Thank you. And in large part because we partner with over 1,400 educational institutions that include four-year and two-year technical and now boot camps. So we're really excited to help all of those institutions get their students connected to over 650,000 employers on our network. Everyone from the Fortune 500, the Nikes, the Googles, the Targets of the world, to also more local school districts, healthcare, nonprofits, we kind of have it all. So, so is it kind of, would you say, sort of like LinkedIn slash Indeed, but geared towards someone who just graduated maybe a few years out of college? Is that, is that Very fair to say? So. Very much so, but I would say <clears throat> there's a difference because okay. our marketplace includes the educational institution. So there's more support and there's more wraparound service for students on Handshake. They can actually attend events and meet employers face-to-face -face or virtually through Handshake. They're able to build relationships that they don't have, which you can't do on some of those other platforms as easily, especially as a student who doesn't know anyone yet. Uh, so there are different nuances to Handshake that make it easier for a student to actually build the social capital that they'll need to get that first job. One of the things that I've noticed is that when you do, this is not just on Handshake, just a kind of a general observation. When you go to different job sites and you put in entry level, you'll pop up like one to three years required. Like how, I, I don't get that. Like, how does that happen? Why does that happen? That's a bizarre thing, isn't it? Certainly, certainly. Well, I think as employers, you're always looking for someone that ideally has some experience right. in the area that you're looking for. And so I always, I've advised thousands of students um, over the course of my career. Before I worked at Handshake, I actually spent time working in higher education and I've advised so many students on this. This is a regular question that we, that we get. And I always tell students, still apply. Even if they're asking for one to three years of experience, still apply and recognize that the experience you have from your internships, from your part-time job, from your volunteer experience, or even from class projects, that counts as experience because employers know that entry-level workers are going to have experience from a variety of different places, not necessarily just from paid work. 
So it's really important for students to actually take a broader view of their experience and not just think that it has to come from paid work experience. That's really good to know. So, so you shouldn't be intimidated. And I, I, I believe there'll be a lot of parents who are interested in this as well as young graduates. Okay. So I think the knee-jerk reaction for a lot of people is that it does, it's not just for college grads. It's even for you know professionals. When you see five to 10 years, 10 to 15 years, you just feel like, oh, I don't have it. I won't apply. But you're saying, hey, I guess within reason, mm -hmm. if you feel that you can make it's, I'll, I'll use the straight face test. Like if you could with a straight face say, hey, I think I could do it. You know, where you're not just like, you, you know, you don't have any of the experience, but you feel you have enough that maybe you could kind of get through the interview process to give it a shot. I love that. I actually, I love that straight face test. That's yeah. such a good, that's such a good measure. You know, I think the other thing to keep in mind um, is we see a real difference between men and women when it comes to this. Our male students often, if they feel like they can do about 60% of the job, usually we'll give it a shot. They'll put their application in. And with a lot of our female students, they will say, well, I can't do all of the things. And they wait until they can do 90, 95, sometimes 99% of the job before they feel like they can apply. And they're, they're missing out. They're keeping themselves out of the game. And so I'm always encouraging students, if you think you can do about 65 to 75% of the job and a little bit of the job would be a stretch, that's a good sign that that might be the right type of role where you're going to learn something and you'll have something to contribute as well. And that's kind of a good balance, a good gauge. So I think it kind of speaks to your straight face test. What, you know, if you and I had this conversation about two, literally just like two months ago, it was so <laughs> yeah. different. Like the job market just blazing hot, great resignation, you know, war for talent, seemingly out of nowhere, you have inflation, you worries about, you know, recession, maybe stagflation. And all of a sudden you see all these tech sec, you know, in the tech sector, you know, they're cutting back, they're hiring freezes, they're rescinding offers. Now, what does that mean for young kids starting out? Is that, could that potentially be good? Because maybe companies will rather not pay a lot and get someone who just got out of school and give that person a shot? Or is it just gonna be harder because it's just kind of a, a, a freeze taking hold across the board? Yeah, it's a really good question. My overall message is it's still a good job market mm -hmm. for students to graduate into. There are still opportunities out there. And I'll actually share with you some of the stats that we have from Handshake. So you're absolutely correct. If we had done this interview just several months ago, in January of 2022, we actually had 1.8 times the number of jobs created then that we did the same time in 2021. Right, that's huge. But by April, just by April, the job creation had already dropped back down to about 2021 COVID levels. So we are seeing a cooling of some industries, in particular tech is certainly one of the areas where you're seeing a little bit of cooling, um, as you just mentioned, but there are still opportunities there. And as we all know, unemployment is actually held steady at about 3.6%. So we're still doing well right now. So I would not say that this is a dire situation 
for the class of 2022. They are still in a much better place than their peers were for class of 2020 and class of 2021. So this class is still doing all right, but they do need to pay attention. They should be watching the news. They should pay attention to sort of what's happening. And depending on what that student needs, if they need more stability, for example, they might want to look at some industries that are in growth mode, that are still hiring versus tech or crypto, for example, that are kind of cooling down right now. There being overhang for graduates of 2001, 2002, you know, 2020, 2020-21, where because of the pandemic, they just couldn't get their footing. So now they're competing against people who are graduating, you know, or just graduated or graduating. Now, do you have that where you just get that excess or, or have those people already got jobs? You know, it's a good question. And I think this was one that I frequently got asked actually in 2020 and 2021 around what yeah. about all the people that have lost their jobs? So now are the early graduates competing with people that actually already have some work yes. experience? It <laughs> doesn't make yeah, yeah. it harder. You know, I think that the answer honestly is yes and. Um, and so the reality is, yes, there will be some of that competition because some of those people haven't gotten jobs yet and they will be competing for those jobs now. At the same time, a number of them have already started to get jobs or are in jobs that they're enjoying right now. And so some of that competition is gone. So it really almost just depends um, on location, on um, type of industry, on type of role, things like that. Um, many of the roles in some of the more popular areas are likely to see more competition because it's just a more popular area right now. And so I think it really will vary depending on the student, depending on, you know, if it's a parent listening right now, depending on what your child happens to be interested in. Yeah. Now, this is not a fair question because everything is going to be different, uh, depend, as you said. But yeah. what do you see? What areas do you see that's kind of hot and growing mm. that... You know, you feel like, hmm, maybe, maybe you didn't think of X, but maybe look into, you know, that sector. Sure, sure, definitely. Well, I will say the class of 2022 really seems to be gravitating towards a lot of roles that revolve around quantitative, analytic, and technical skills. <laughs> we are seeing a lot of interest um, around, I'll give you the top five, actually. I'm going to read it off my list here. The first one is business analysts and management consultants. The second is software developers and engineers. The third is data analysts. This is a role that has actually grown in interest among students over the past five years in particular. The fourth is financial and investment analysts. That's always been a pretty popular one. And the fifth is IT analysts and consultants. So if you have a child or a student that's interested in going into one of those five, those areas are getting more applicants per job opening than some other job roles and areas. So there will be a little bit more competition in those areas, but there's been a lot of interest from this class. Christine, do you have to have a degree in that or could it be just you have a math aptitude or you have an analytical mindset or, or you need a little bit of both? It's a really good question. So for a lot of the technical roles, we are seeing more and more employers actually remove degree requirements for those roles. They're open to folks that have taken courses 
they're open to folks that might have certifications or um, or uh, credentials in those. Uh, they're open to folks with two-year degrees. Um, and so there's more flexibility, I would say. We are really seeing employers acknowledge that some of these roles, you might not need a four-year degree or a master's degree to go into. And instead, you may be able to go through a boot camp or you may be able to go through a credential program. So we are seeing a growing acceptance around different forms of education. And do you notice, what are the trends? Are companies hiring these uh, you know, recent grads or kind of a year or two out, remote, hybrid, in-office, digital nomads? What's <laughs> like, is there any, any particular, yeah, you see any trends, like what really dominates or it's across the board? You know, what's most popular <laughs> is hybrid. So we're seeing a lot of employers have roles that have flexibility. They might be either remote completely or they're semi-remote with an expectation that you either come into the office a couple days a week or you come into the office maybe once a quarter or a couple times a quarter and you can travel in for the team building, for the team planning, so on and so forth. And that is really resonating with our class of, of 2022 and Gen Z in general, this whole sort of um, student population. One of our recent research uh, reports from Handshake shows that the majority of our students really want flexibility. They like the idea of being able to work from home and have some remote work, but they also don't wanna miss out on the social connection that you get from actually going into an office or seeing your coworkers. And so the flexibility piece is really, really big. And uh, for us over the course of this past year, jobs that had the word remote got three times more applications from students. You know, what would you recommend to somebody starting out? Hybrid, remote, in office, do you have a personal preference? Oh, I, you know, I think my personal preference is probably hybrid. I mean, as you can see behind yeah. me, I came into the office today because I'm excited to see some of my coworkers. One of my coworkers is having a birthday, so I wanted to be here to help celebrate. Um, and I like having that option. But at the same time, I love the convenience of also being able to work from home many days. Um, so I like having kind of the both and. It feels like the best of both worlds. Um, for a new professional though, what I would say is really important is you have to learn the culture of your office. And so if you are someone who knows that you can still build relationships virtually, you can reach out and make sure that you're having conversations, not only with your team, but meet people outside of your team. And you are someone who is a really clear communicator. You can help make the implicit explicit that is going to be really helpful to you in remote roles. If you know that you kind of struggle with some of those things, you might want to go for a job where you're going to be in the office because being visible, having the exposure and seeing some of that culture is going to be really useful to you. So I think that's where based on your own personal kind of personality and what your strengths are will help you either adapt more quickly to fully remote, hybrid, or in-person. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I would probably, and, and tell me what you think about this. I would probably advise young people to go into the office, even five days a week at first. Not, you don't have to do it all. But at first, just as you're mentioning, because this way you get a feel for the corporate culture. I think there is a little bit of a proximity bias 
that if you're in the office and let's say, Christian, you're my boss and you're seeing me every day. And even if you're not there, I'm there and I'm following. And then you're like, hey, Jack, can you do this for me? And I'm in the office. I, I could see that there's a lot of value where you could stand out as opposed to, you know, the people who are at home. And the only time you see them is when they're in a Zoom call and there's like a hundred little boxes and you're not really sure who's who. <laughs> So that is almost to me like a contrarian play that, you know, you get in the office and you make yourself known and people get to see you and you contribute and all of a sudden you're like a rock star because <laughs> like there's not that many people there. Well, I think it depends because so yeah. many offices now are remote. So yeah. if you're going into the office, but nobody else is there, <laughs> right, then you're, you're by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it, I think it depends on the culture. I think it really depends on the culture, but yeah. you're absolutely correct that you have to be intentional. And now that we're, everybody is sort of some form of remote hybrid, possibly in person, that intentionality piece is ever more important. You can't just leave it up to chance anymore. Yeah, it's a good point because like, okay, you go in because I, I hear this from people, not recent college grads, but people who, you know, five, 10, 15 years, you know, in, in uh, the work, uh, work world is that they'll commute in, mm -hmm. you know, taking it. You know, let's say if you're going to New York city from one of the suburbs can easily take an hour and a half each yeah. way. Yeah. And then you go in and you look around and you're like, wait, where are all the people I need to interact <laughs> with? And then you find yourself just on Zoom calls and sending emails. And you're like, exactly. I didn't I, like I could have done this in my bedroom. What do I, I don't have to come in for it? So you're right too. If even if you want to go in, if the culture is such where no one's really there, well, it's not going to help. That's right. That's right. So you got to ask. You got to ask those questions as part of the interview. These are some of the things that you're now as a new professional going to want to learn to really ascertain: is this the right environment for me? What about this part? This is more of a social kind of okay. aspect of things where, you know, when I graduated, and I'm sure uh, it, when you graduated, there was a social element too, because you go to the office and then maybe you go out to lunch with people, maybe after work on a Friday, everyone could go get some dinner, some cocktails, whatever the, you know, yep. the case may be. Yep. And you kind of rebuild your network because all of a sudden, you know, the people you went to college with are just kind of in different cities, different states, you know, maybe some are still close by, maybe they're not, maybe mm -hmm. the kids you grew up with aren't around anymore. So like you have to build that network. And if you have kind of a hybrid or remote environment, mm -hmm. is it going to be tougher for this generation to build that network, which I, I personally think helps in the long term to have that, you know, a yeah. whole network to support yeah. you throughout your career. You know, it's really interesting you ask this question because the, uh, Gen Z has actually reported to us that they believe more than 80% of them believe that it's actually easier for them to build a network virtually than it was for their parents' generation to build a network. So they believe that virtual and technology actually eases the ability to make those connections. So they don't see the the being virtual as necessarily a barrier, they actually see it as a facilitator to be able to connect with people that otherwise they wouldn't have been able to connect with. So give, for example, one of the stories I heard from a student was, you know, back in the day, if I perhaps worked in headquarters or wasn't in the headquarters, but some of the other leaders were in another office, I literally may never see them yeah. because they're not in the same locale as I am, but virtually, I could set up a video chat with somebody who's in London, or I could set up a video chat with somebody who's in New York when I'm in San Francisco. And it's much easier to actually facilitate and make that happen. And it's now more the norm for people to do that. 
Now, what I will say though, is it's really important that employers play their part in doing this and doing this well. You have to set up a culture. You have to have strong onboarding. You need to make sure that you are creating a culture and an environment where it is easy for people to reach out, build those relationships, and develop the type of community and network that you're talking about. That is really core and very, very key. So I'll give you an example. One of the things that we do at Handshake that I absolutely love is we have a Slack channel called Donut Be Alone. And every two weeks, two random people from the company get paired together for a coffee chat. And this used to be in person, right? So this actually started a long time ago before we all went virtual. You would get paired up with a person, you would find a time and a date, and you would literally go for a walk to go get coffee or a donut. And now that it's virtual, people still get paired up and they just have a virtual chat over, over, uh, over Zoom. And that's worked out really well. So there are intentional ways that companies can ease this and make it a little bit easier uh, for folks. And I think as a new professional or someone who's job searching, I encourage you to ask some of these questions. What does the social connection look like? What does community building look like for this organization? Um, how does the team typically get together? We are seeing a lot of employers actually choose to make the in-person uh, instances, social instances, rather than necessarily just a work meeting. They're saying, you know what, when we do see each other in person, we want it to be fun and community building because that's more enticing for why somebody would want to get together in person. So these are the types of things that you want to explore to make sure you're going into an environment that sort of fits how you like to work. And imagine that if you're interviewing, mm -hmm. that's probably one of the questions you may want to ask to that's find right. out, okay, do not only is it remote or hybrid or flexible, yeah. but are there going to be ways that I could interact with people? You know, yeah. are they going to have these meetups like you're talking about? Yeah. Are these, these different social, uh, would it be these offsites yeah. where then I could actually see people in real life? And I get what you're saying because sometimes, you know, when, you, when you're on a video call or an online call, I, it, you know what? You could just make the same connection as in, in real life. Sometimes even better because I don't know. It's a it's. I guess maybe we're all getting used to this medium, right? <laughs> we're getting used to it. It's become the norm. Well, and I think the other thing too is, I mean, as you get older and you're no longer a student anymore, so much of your interaction actually does happen virtually because you're going to meet people from different places as you start to network or think about your second job or your third job or pivoting industries. More often than not, you're meeting someone that probably isn't right where you live. You're probably not going to meet them in person. It's normal to have a phone call or to have a Zoom call. Um, and so in some ways, this also helps students to get some early practice. Now, on a different topic, what could people expect to earn? And I know it's going to run the whole gamut. Yes. But what, what, what do recent grads make? And, and I get it. You know, if you're going to be an investment banker yeah. or a hedge fund, it's going to be one thing. If you're a software engineer and you're going to Silicon Valley, you know, for Apple, it's going to be something else. But do you have any data points like what to kind of anticipate, you know, broadly speaking? Yeah, yeah. Broadly speaking, this is this is anecdotal, not specifically yeah. just from just from Handshake. Um, but if, as you said, if you're looking at things like um, working in, in investment banking, if you're going into management consulting, if you're going into tech, you're certainly looking at salaries that are 
um, going to be much higher, right? You're talking 70,000 plus um, if you're looking at some of those types of jobs. If you're looking for things like education, you're going to be a teacher, you're going to work in K through 12, you might be working in higher education, you're going to see a range depending on geographic location between the mid 30s and the mid 60s. Right. And so it really kind of, as you mentioned, it really depends on what industry you're looking to go into. And it definitely depends on what location or city you may be going to. Now that more folks are hybrid and or remote, different companies have different pay structures. Some say it doesn't matter where you live, you're going to make the same amount. And some say if you live in a high cost of living city, you're going to make a differential that is different from somebody who lives in a low cost of living sort of city. And so again, these are really good questions that once you get the offer and you're negotiating mm -hmm. and thinking about that, you're gonna wanna consider um, what your needs are as an individual or as a family, if you already have a family and to talk with your employer about some of those, some of those components. But as you can see, it can really range from mid thirties as a starting salary mm -hmm. all the way to over a hundred thousand um, for somebody just graduating, depending on what you might be going into. You know, when I first started recruiting, mm -hmm. if I sent a resume to a company and maybe they were at their job two or three years, yeah. the hiring manager and HR you know, professionals would be like, huh, what's going on? They've only been there a year, two years, three years. Is this a job hopper? I don't know if I'm comfortable. Fast forward. And I didn't realize this until fairly recently, you know, speaking, you know, to a lot of tech companies is that they're cool with like doing a tour of duty where, you know, yeah. you're going to go and work at, you know, let's say Google for a year, learn, network, build, you know, your skill set, and then say, okay, now I'm going to go to Microsoft and then so on, so on, so on. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of socially acceptable. That's Do you right. think, you know, for parents who are used to, who are, you know, Gen Xers or baby boomers who are used to that, like, oh, you need to stay a long period of time. Is it now more acceptable if let's say, you know, somebody starts a job, you know, mm -hmm. kind of likes it's okay, but then, you know, maybe stays a year or even less than a year mm -hmm. and then move on. Is it, is that now becoming more acceptable and okay? Or is, is that, definitely. what do you think? Yeah, it has definitely become much more acceptable. Um, and to keep in mind different industries, again, vary a little bit right. like this. Tech certainly is one of those areas where if you're at a job for a year, year and a half, and you decide to move on, people don't bat an eye at that right. the way that they might have in the past. Um, it's also important, you know, now that I work in tech, I can also say the expectation for how quickly you on-ramp and you start contributing and really adding value to the organization is very quick. There's an expectation that as you come on and as you onboard, within your first 30 days, certainly within your first 90, you're already starting to contribute. You're already starting to take on projects. You're already starting to add value for your team and for the company. So I think back in the day, it mm -hmm. might have been a longer onboarding where people didn't expect you to. Yeah, you take like three months. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember like you know, telling candidates, you know, who are not just college grads, but, you know, been in the you know, work world for a long time. 
Hey, yeah, it's going to take, because sometimes they'll call me and say, Jack, I don't know if I really like it, but what? You've only been there three months. Give us some more time. So yeah, it would take a while to acclimate and, and it would be a much slower process. So what you're saying is now it's more immersive, like boom, you right away, pretty much you're learning, you're getting trained, you're running. Right. That's right. And these tech companies, many of them in that yeah. field, they work so fast that in a year or in a year and a half, so much could have changed. That professional may actually have a lot to talk about in terms of what they've accomplished, what they've been able to bring to market, what they've been able to build might actually be a significant amount of information or or knowledge. And so I think it's important not to discredit somebody that maybe hasn't necessarily spent five years, six years, 10 years at one particular place. They may have actually moved from place to place in order to get new experience, to build new skills, and to be able to move up. Now, I would say as people start to advance and get into more mid-level and senior level roles, you do see that start to stretch out more. You don't see um, mid-level and senior people leave quite as frequently as you might for um, a younger professional. But I would say this generation really prides themselves and they're looking for an environment where they can learn and where they can really build their skill set. And so as an employer, we are often talking to our partners, to our employer partners about how important it is that you think of, are there paths for your employees, your entry-level employees to be able to grow and take on new initiatives and new projects? Um, and are you being explicit with them in sharing that when you bring them on so that they know that there may be growth paths for them within the organization um, versus necessarily having to leave your organization? It could be on a different team, could be in a different function, things like that. Yeah, this is more anecdotal, but I see more people taking on kind of contract and mm -hmm. gig type work is mm -hmm. that becoming more common as well where you may not get a you might not get a full-time offer but hey here's a contract for three months six months something of that nature yeah certainly also anecdotal we are hearing that students are interested in gaining that experience and in some cases if they have the flexibility to be able to put together a few projects that look really interesting to them they certainly are i will say that with the pandemic though with the past couple of years we are noticing that many of our current Gen Z students, those that have graduated 2020, 2021, and now 2022, they are looking for a sense of stability though. They've lived through now a very tumultuous mm -hmm. couple of years. They're trying to kickstart their careers and their lives as adults, and they are interested in more stability. So I personally will be watching myself to see if some of the gig work and contract work slows down in any way um, as this particular sort of generation I think is is seeking something just a tad just a tad more more stable um, but I think you're right we have certainly seen that growth over the past I would say five to eight years for sure see you know I and I see both sides to it because one let's say I I, I was a I'm a hiring manager at some you know ABC widget company mm -hmm. I might say hey I'm not sure about you know you know, Bobby or Susie, but you know what? I would gladly give them a contract for let's say yeah. three months and let's see. So this way they may come in and surprise me. Go, oh my God, they're great. We got to hire them or maybe not so great. You're like, you know what? 
it, maybe it was good that it was a contract because then you don't have that awkwardness. You have to lay somebody off or fire someone. And then, you know, they, they have three, four, five months of experience. Mm -hmm. So there's some value to it. But then I could see for people who, let's say, in 2020, 2021, you know, had these contracts and like, I just want a full-time job. You know, <laughs> I just want a permanent job. I don't want to kind of keep holding my breath. Am I going to be re-up for another three months or another whatever? I just want that, like you said, that stability. And, and, and I could just kind of be at one place and know what I'm doing. Yeah, I think, you know what I think it really comes down to too is our benefits because uh, our benefit structure in, in the US hasn't necessarily kept up with gig work and contract work. Mm -hmm. So for many of those employees, they don't have health benefits, for example, right? As a 1099 employee, you don't get yeah. health benefits. And so unless you can still be on your parents' health benefits, um, or you have enough money yourself to be able to pay for that, you're essentially going without health insurance. And that's some of the type of stability that many of this generation are looking for. And one of the major health benefits that we are hearing this particular class and, and Gen Z talk about a lot is mental health. Mm -hmm. Mental health has become a really big issue and they want 92% of this generation expects employers to provide mental health benefits in some way, shape or form as part of the benefits package. And I think that's really hard for a lot of gig and contract workers. And so it does impact those that are in that type of work. And so I think on, until our legislation and some of our policies around healthcare sort of shift and change, um, it makes it hard. It makes it hard. Are you also finding out, in addition to mental health and emotional well-being, that uh, Gen Zs are looking for jobs that have meaning and purpose and fulfillment, and that they join with a company that they share their social mission, as opposed to in the past, that really wasn't on the table, but you see that that's a more. big thing for them? Yeah, we're seeing much more of that. Uh, this generation has talked very openly about some of their values and what they stand for. And they wanna work for companies that they know also stand behind those same values and act in accordance to those values and are giving back to the community, sometimes through social responsibility, other times just as their entire business model or sort of entity of how they work. Um, so 100%. We're certainly, when you think about some of the um, racial conversations that have happened across our nation and our world, and certainly within this particular generation, I, as you think about the diversity, the general diversity conversations that have happened, many of our students are looking for diverse leadership in the organizations that they are going into. Um, they want to see many women, for example, want to see other women in leadership in order for them to actually consider applying for an organization. Uh, we are hearing from employers every day that students are asking more questions about that because it aligns with their values. And to go back, mm -hmm. kind of what we were talking about the contracts and gig work, I'm also hearing is that there's a lot of more internships. So you won't get you know, hired for a paying job, but they'll bring you aboard as an intern where you're gonna do the work, not really get paid. Is that something that continues to happen or is that changing? It's changing. I would say, you know, on Handshake at any given time, 75% of our internships that are posted on the site are paid mm -hmm. internships. And that is incredibly important. We constantly encourage and communicate with our employers the importance of paid internships, because when they offer unpaid internships, 
they are actually losing a significant portion of their potential talent pipeline. Students who do not have the financial means to take on an unpaid internship won't apply yeah. for those opportunities. And as an employer, when you're looking for diverse talent, you're literally cutting out a whole swath of people by making it unemployed. And I will also add one other piece, which has always been very important to me. Employers cannot say, this is unpaid, but you can get it for credit. An employer has absolutely no control nor authority over whether or not their internship can be used for credit. That is up to the institution. Does and that happen is, a lot? The way you say it, I imagine that comes up. <laughs> is that a big sure issue? Does. It sure yeah. does. I think employers think that they're doing something nice for a student. Right. Oh, well, it's unpaid, but you can get it for credit. And the reality is you don't get to decide that as the employer. The institution decides. Wait, so what happens? So then they go back to school and say, hey, I got credit. And the school's like, wait, what are you talking about? You don't get credit for it. Exactly. Oh, exactly. no. Oh, no. The student then goes to school and they say, how do I get credit for this internship? And for some schools, they don't give credit for internships. Oh, no. For other schools, they'll say, oh, okay, well, you can do that. But now you need to pay a credit hour or two credit hours or three credit hours. So now the unpaid internship has cost the student more money, right? Like it's, it's not a good situation. We highly encourage all employers to pay, even if it's a small amount, pay your interns. Yeah, I, I think that's only fair, right? I mean, that's only <laughs> like the right thing to do if they're working for you, you know? Cause like, you know, in the past you'd have the interns, you know, like servants, like get me coffee, go do this, go do this, it's terrible. You know, and if you pay, you you really, especially if you're a large organization that makes a ton of money, you can spring for, you know, taking care of your interns, right? I think that's not much to ask for out of life. For sure, for sure. And to be fair, yeah. the majority of large companies, right, 500 plus companies, they are paying their intern. Mm -hmm. They do have paid internship programs. It typically tends to be the smaller smaller organizations um, or companies or nonprofits that are not. And, um, and our hope is that over time, they will find a way to be able to, to do that. But certainly if a student has graduated and they're taking an internship as sort of their full-time role, hoping that it might transition or yeah. convert into something full-time, those are typically paid. There's another trend that I'm noticing and I think I saw it on hand, Handshake, also on LinkedIn, and hearing it from other places too, that hiring for skills is becoming more common now than yes. other things. Is that is that a big is a is that a big change? Yes, skills based hiring is a uh, phrase that we are hearing over and over and over again from many many employers. Um, they are trying to think about how do we diversify our pipeline and our applicant pool and really look at folks who have the skills and the credentials we're looking for and not just pay attention to what school do they graduate from or what's their major, what's their GPA, but instead look at the skills and the qualifications that somebody might have, which has been extremely helpful for many students who might not go to a top brand name school or for somebody who is perhaps changing industries and pivoting after a couple of roles into a new role. So that's interesting to say. And like, but is it, I mean, do you take, is it, like with AI, perhaps that, you know, you'll have it where they could kind of pull out from a resume, hey, this person doesn't have the title of doing the job, mm -hmm. but like when maybe it goes through the ATS system or AI, we've kind of 
pull out some of the requirements. Say, wait a minute, you can actually do this kind of job. Is that what happens? Because they're looking at those skill sets. Well, right you- now, the way that employers are doing a lot of skills-based hiring is they're trying to figure it out. It's very new for many mm-hmm. employers. And so they might be looking at some of the skills that come out of somebody's resume. They may be asking interview questions that mm-hmm. are more focused on skills. They may be simply opening up the criteria that their recruiters are using to not narrow the applicant pool solely based on school, GPA, or mm-hmm. major, right? Um, what we're trying to do actually at Handshake is make this process much easier for employers and for job seekers. Um, We believe since we have such a large network and the skills marketplace is so fragmented, we could actually help to consolidate and centralize some of that in our network to make it easier for a student. So when you have started searching for a job, for example, we in the system could tell you, it looks like you keep looking at these UX researcher or product uh, manager type positions. And we notice that you don't have this skill or this Mm -hmm. skill listed on your profile, but it keeps coming up in these job descriptions. Do you have that skill? In which case a student may be able to add to their profile, or if they don't have that skill, we might be able to point them to places where they can actually learn that skill Mm -hmm. and get that credential so that they can add that back to their profile so that an employer could search for it and make it a little bit easier. And I think the other piece that you're talking about in terms of parsing a resume, um, we do want to think about what could we, how could we have skills attribution? If you ask most employers, how do you actually assess for say leadership? Many times they're asking similar questions about their involvement in school. Were you part of student organizations? Did you have a role in that? Or what were some of the projects that you did and what role did you play when you were doing that? What we could do is actually have and help a student include that information on their profile and then actually help them connect the dots between, hey, you know what? This lifeguard job that you had, you actually gained these skills from that lifeguard job. Did you know that, right? And help them start to make those connections and to make that more visible in an easy to sort of find way on the profile so that even for an employer, they're able to get some early signal as they start to sift through candidates. So this is early, early work for us at Handshake, but we're really excited to try and uh, wrestle with this topic of skills-based hiring. I love that because why would you not include if, let's say, each year in high school, you're a lifeguard or a mm-hmm. valet parker or worked at a restaurant? Because those are real life skills. You're yeah. interacting with people. You're interacting with customers. You know, you have to be responsible. So the, that really, I would say, you know, thinking out loud, yeah. that might be even better than certain courses you're taking in school by having that real life experience. Of, of, of working for a paycheck, having to deal with a boss who's like terrible, <laughs> having to deal with coworkers who are awful, because that's what's going to happen at times, you know? So this way you're preparing it and you're learning and that's valuable. So that makes sense. Let me ask the last question I was thinking about too, is this, when you talk about mental health, you know, everybody seems so stressed out, anxiety ridden and worried and frantic, whether in real life on social media, what would you say to 
young people who are starting out their career and just worry, like, how am I going to pay back my student loans? How am I ever going to, how can I get it up with inflation? How can I even rent an apartment? Am I going to be stuck at home? How can I ever get married and have a family if I don't get <laughs> enough money? Like, do you have any words of advice from doing this for so long and seeing how this plays out you know, to, to help alleviate some of that anxiety and stress that's just natural whether you're you're just graduated or you're 20 years in you're always going to have that some level of stress but what would you say to those people and their parents to say it's okay don't worry it's cool it'll work out absolutely i have um two pieces of advice one is very tactical and practical and the other one is um hopefully more motivational so the tactical one is focus on what you can control Mm -hmm. You have your sphere of influence, and I want you to focus on your locus of control as a student. What that means is you all have access to Handshake. Get on it. If you are not already on it, get on it. Once you're on Handshake, you have full control over filling out your profile. Do it. Complete it. A student that has a completed profile on Handshake is 80% more likely to get a proactive message from an employer inviting you to apply for one of their jobs or go to one of their events. So that's all within your control. Get on Handshake, fill out your profile, attend events. Your institution, if you're still a student, is hosting a lot of different events for you. You should be going to those events. There are employers that are regularly posting events on Handshake's platform as well that are all public. You should also be attending those. When you're at those events, ask questions. Make sure you raise your hand, make sure you put a question in the chat, make sure you reach out and meet an employer, and then network. On Handshake again and through other sites, you can actually reach out to peers, to alumni, and on Handshake, this is Handshake only, you can reach out to recruiters and to employers that actually are posting active jobs right now. And you can set up a video chat with them, you can initiate messaging with them, do those things. Those are all within your control as a student. And I encourage you to do those things that will help you get into a cycle of practice, as well as feeling like you have some control over this process and this journey that you're on. It's not going to happen to you. You're going to make it happen. And then lastly, the motivational piece is keep in mind that as a generation, you are one of the most adaptable and one of the most resilient. You have just gone through a pandemic. You have gone through two, almost three of the most tumultuous years. You can do this. You've already done it. You've gotten yourself to this point. And that, if you can remember that grit and that agility and that resiliency, those skills, those characteristics are gonna help you really well in life because over the course of your career, you're going to reinvent yourself multiple times. And so keep in mind that that is actually a huge benefit to your generation. That's something that you kind of get to be special and carry with you. And I hope that you don't forget that as you go off into this job search. That's fantastic. That's a, that's a wonderful way to wrap it up. I love it. Very encouraging, very positive, just giving you know information, actionable advice, what you can do, how you can make a difference, how you can move forward. And I, can I add, I'll add my own two cents too. Yeah. I think too, would it, would it be fair to also say, it, it, everyone goes at a different, you know, there's a little luck that comes into it. So everyone's going at a different rate sometimes. Cause I see this in my practice as, as a recruiter, sometimes, you know, someone's at the right place at the right time. It just clicks. Mm-hmm. And then someone else who might even be better 
you know what I mean? Who has like a better degree, better person, smarter, all that kind of stuff. But just, it just takes longer. It's just, they can't catch, they didn't catch that break. It didn't just match up and it takes much longer. So I think in part two, you can't compare yourself with other students who are graduating because everyone's going at a, the journey is a little different. So you can't really stress out and look, I can't believe that person got a job. I'm so much smarter <laughs> than that person. <laughs> or what, you know, how we, it's human nature. Of course. But I guess, right, it, it's, it just comes when it comes. And sometimes you're lucky, it comes quickly, sometimes not so much. But to do what you're saying, just the nuts and bolts of, you know, setting out the resume, getting in touch with, with recruiters, you know, practicing your elevator pitch, you know, yeah. doing all the things you're talking about because that's within your control and you can that's just keep exactly getting better right. at it. That's right. Excellent. That's well, this right. Is great. Well, thank you so much. For people who aren't aware of Handshake, how can they find you? How can they find the company? How can they get started? Yes, you can go to joinhandshake.com and you can register right there. If you want to do it on mobile, just go to the app store and download Handshake and you can also get started right there. And for those of you that are still students, just go to your career center. They likely have already created uh, uh, activation for you and you can get information from them as well. So any of those options will get you to Handshake. Well, this is great. I love it. I think you made a lot of young people a little bit more relaxed and comfortable. <laughs> and I think you made a lot of the parents who have college age, who may not be graduating, but you know, starting college in the middle yeah. of college, graduating college, just say, okay, all right, I have this. I get it. You can do it. I can, can do, do it. it. All right. This is good. So this was the timing was perfect. So this was awesome. This is the right time of year. This is why it's, it's front and center in people's minds. So I'm so glad you're able to, to, to do this podcast with us and share your valuable information. Christine, thank you so much. Thank you so much for Excellent. having me. My pleasure. Take care. Have a good day. Bye. Bye.